got any TV review podcasts? If you want. Peggy Mount Pod. Yeah. It's what producer Ken listens to. At Pod Producer Ken. Yeah. And he said if I didn't listen to lots of Peggy Mount Calamity Hours and learn new swear words and how to get drunk when I grow up, I'll only be good enough to podcast for the Hilda Baker Catastrophe Minute. The Hilda Baker Catastrophe Minute? Who are they? Exactly. Now get off. Give me some. Get off. This week on the Peggy Mount Cast. He's more. The Orko, I feel, but yeah. You see, even Orko, I can give a hug to Orko. Um, I'm afraid Snarf would be stuffed with shit and used as a draft excluder. Now, Mumra's been on Third Earth for a thousand years. We know that because he says so every four minutes. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Thundercats just crash landed a fortnight ago and set up shop yep. like they own the fucking place. Mm-hmm. As parables about colonialism go, you can hardly blame the indigenous population for defending their turf, surely. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Henry Kelly has just asked Jacob from the Netherlands if he wears clogs while everyone mm. else on set just stands there in a stunned silence. That's yeah. the level of international friendliness we're at now, is it? Hello and welcome to the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. I'm Dr Velvet. I am Blackout. And we're here to talk about some 80s television. Yes, hello you. Thanks for joining us for our casual cultural critique of vintage television, where Britain's best-loved battle axe is never far from our minds, because here, all roads lead to the mountain. If you head over to PeggyMountPod.com, info links for the episodes we're discussing is in the show notes, you can find us on the socials, get in touch to say how great we are, or badger us about programmes you'd like us to cover. Before we disguise ourselves as tramps to break into a high-security fortress, Dr Velvet, I've got to ask, what are you drinking? Vodka and lilt. Ooh, okay. The sun's out. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I thought, you know what I could do with a totally tropical taste. Fair play. Vodka and Dilt. Your good self. I am on the Buckhorn Stateside IPA. That would have been at home at a books party. It would, wouldn't it? It really would. Yeah. Too, too bad it's good. a week late now. But yeah, there we go. I know. I know. What a shame. All right. And so on to the first... On today's list. So I mentioned I was feeling a bit tropical because of the sun coming through, the lovely rays. You can look out that window and you can enjoy its sunshiny splendour. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'll tell you something, though. There's always thunder on the horizon. Thundercats are on the moon. Thundercats are loose. 
Thundercats was the seminal animated series from Rankin Bass Productions, which ran in its original form for 130 episodes over four seasons. It follows a handful of athletic, anthropomorphic felines as they adjust to life on Third Earth, having escaped their dying planet of Thundera, getting into adventures and learning crucial lessons along the way. Our heroes Lionel, Tigra, Panther, Chitara, Wily Kit, Wily Cat, and Snuff find themselves pitted against the mutant malice of Slythe, Jackal Man, Monkey Ann, and of course Mumra the Ever Living. And it's to this bandaged baddie that we turn as we watch the fifth ever episode, Pumra, written by Julian P. Gardner, which aired on Children's BBC on the 29th of January 1987 in the half four slot. The cats are going about their daily business when Chitara rocks up with a new friend, but is he really all he seems? I mean, I, I say this a lot, but what a theme tune. Uh huh. What a title sequence. It still totally holds up now, doesn't it? it, it it's and not just me imagining the incidental music. No, it's not at all. The incidental music, it's all bang on. Those <laughs> three important factors for me... Ah, oh, dream, dream, dream. Amazing, amazing. Yes, it does, st- importantly, still holds up today. Incredible. And yet at this point, so long after the likes of Space Sentinels, Transformers, Masters of the Universe, an episodic sci-fi adventure show like this should be on absolute autopilot. So fair play to Rankin Bass for making this so energetic. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I mean, certain aspects. You've got to put in, mm-hmm. uh, which take away from the positivity. So I am, of course, referring to Snuff, uh, yeah. who, who is the scrappy-doo of this franchise. Um, He's more the Orko, I feel, but yeah. Ah, you see, even Orko, I can give a hug to Orko. Um, I'm afraid Snarf would be stuffed with shit and used as a draft excluder. <laughs> but as we went on, wasn't it Snarf who'd like turn up at the end and basically give the, the moral of it all? Or have, yeah. or have I imagined that? Because that's definitely what Orko used to do. Yeah, he... Um, Scrappy Doo didn't he, give that much of a fuck. He didn't. Uh, he was clueless. But Snarf, nah. Nah. Get fucked, you judgmental prick. With a, with a horrible whiny voice. Didn't like him at all. Didn't like him. He didn't need to be there. But as much use as Godzuki. I like how you've gone quite far down the rabbit hole now of hating something that's not really in this episode. Yeah. He's there. That's how much he rolls me up. Don't let him ruin it when he's not even doing anything. Yeah, well, yeah, well. But... Snarf aside, this is cracking this. So Chitara's out running because she's based on a cheetah and they run fast. So that's what she does, right? Um, Do you know how many people who go out jogging and stuff will run and run and run until they just collapse? This is No, this is exactly what I've got. Why does Chitara collapse? I don't know. I don't understand why this has occurred. She just runs and runs and runs and for no reason just passes out. Yeah. Is she just thinking... And a couple of the bad oh. guys happen to be there with a stretcher. With a, with a fucking stretcher? Yeah. To yeah. carry her off to uh, to Mumra's gaff, which just happens to be... I mean, it's clearly within walking distance. Um, Not only that, though, pretty, as this is happening, Tigra and Panthro are sat being voyeuristic as fuck. They've got cameras set up all around the planet so they can see a ladybird fart on a leaf. Well, I'm glad they've got them outside because they haven't got them indoors. We'll get to that in a bit. 
So Chitara is whisked away to Mumra's evil lair, <laughs> and we see him for the first time properly. What an iconic bastard. Fair. I I love Mumra. I love Mumra. <laughs> Everything about this character is absolutely superb. The voice is incredible. Do you like the fact that he constantly references himself in the third person in every other sentence and yes. in every fourth sentence has to say how old he is? Yes. Yes. He's just a thing of beauty. I am Mumra. It's just that the entire time. <laughs> now, oh. now, what is Mumra? Uh, well, my understanding is he's he's a he's a he's a mummy. Yeah, a mummy um, a mummy of what though? What's his like his original sort of species? Uh, I don't know that. Well, I always sort of thought that like as the ancient Egyptians were obsessed with cats, and mm. as everyone else, all the good guys in the show are cats, it would make sense for Mumra to be a cat, wouldn't it? Be like an evil Egyptian cat, but he's not. Yes. He he hates the cats. Is that jealousy? Or what? If anything, he should be like trying to be their mate, not constantly running them down. Ah, we learn about that though, don't we? Later on in the episode, as to why, because he has a right, Paddy, <laughs> doesn't he? Oh, we'll get to that in a sec, though. We'll get to that in a sec. So his plan is, uh, I don't know why he has to walk round and round Chitara. Yeah, I wasn't entirely sure why she was even there. If he can just change himself, yeah. He's just wandering round there going, Soon I will destroy the Thundercatcher. Wandering round and round the table. Mm-hmm. She's not even conscious at this point, so he's wasting his breath. He's basically like Mr Granger in a blanket. Yes, yes he is, yes. Uh, spirits of evil. There it goes, he turns into Mumra. Mm-hmm. But then he alters his disguise... And turns into Willy Fogg. Yeah. Yeah, he absolutely does. And then they go, and then Chitaro wakes up, because he's basically turned into this other lion. He's disguised himself as a cat. That's fine. He could do this at any point, remember. He's disguised himself as a cat to try and get in with the Thundercats, to trick them, not to actually be there, mate. Yeah. And Chitaro's like, oh, who are you? And he goes, oh, I'm, um, uh, me, me. That's a normal question. I knew you were going to ask that. Obviously, I should be able to answer it quickly. I am, uh, I'm, I'm, I am, Pumra. Yes, a, a completely normal name. Yeah, that's not suspicious. Well done, mate. Yeah. Now, you see, I was a little bit confused here. It is a long time since I'd watched the series. Now, mm. I had assumed that they'd met Mumra prior to this episode. So when this, when he, when he said his name, I don't think they've met him this up close, but they do know who he is. Well, because I thought, right, your name is Mumra, but for the purpose of this disguise, you're calling yourself Pumra. Uh-huh, uh-huh. To me, that is the equivalent and about as convincing as Peter Sutcliffe wearing a cap backwards and calling himself the Yorkshire Rapper. <laughs> No, it it absolutely is this. I'm I'm kind of working on the assumption that the Thundercats are a bit thick, which is why they don't notice. So I have I, I did have a think about any other possible disguises he could use for his future antagonism, right? Because all he's got to do is knock on their front door 
dressed in a different outfit and they haven't got a fucking clue what's going on. So, first up, he could call himself Dumra. That's just him wearing yeah. a dunce's hat, right? Right, right. Uh, we've got Gumra. That's him with no mm-hmm. teeth. Yep. Uh, Scrumra. He appears as a yep. rugby team in the middle of Absolutely. an after-match drinking session. Uh, yep. Bumra. That's basically just a huge ass wrapped in bandages. <laughs> And yeah. uh, and and I think th- I, th- I think the most the most pertinent one is disposable income ra, where he appears as the toy version of his own self, but the 2021 version from Super Seven, which is retailing at 90 quid, ensuring that it will never be played with by an actual child. Right, 90 quid on a Mumra figure. Nine zero. Who's doing that? I would. I would. Are they, are they making it for you? <laughs> they might well be. <laughs> They might well be. No, Dear definitely, Lord. Definitely. Mind you, I don't know why um, there's such a there's such plotting uh, to get to the Thundercats lair because Tigra is the architect who designed this. Mind, he hasn't got a Danny LaRue about subtlety. <laughs> I mean, you know, no threat to their existence is ever going to find that. Massive forty-two story palace looking like a cat with laser eyes, are they? <laughs> Prick. So Mumra has inveigled his way into the Pussy Palace. He immediately phones his mates the second he's alone. He does. Oh he- before, before, before this. One touch I do like. When he is in disguise, the voice he we even get Mumra not able to do a voice properly, so we, we flip between, <laughs> oh, hello, I am Mumra, I am not evil at all. Hello, Chitara, how are you today? I love that. Nice little touch. <laughs> She's like, ah, Pumra, and, uh, and what do you do for a living? I am not evil. Oh, I see. <laughs> I mean, I mean that, that makes two of us, Pumra. That's, that's delightful. I'll... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, well, Chitara herself, you can you, you can sort of gauge uh, what level she's working on intellectually. Oh no! Why does she talk like this? It does sound a bit. As much as I was having fun with this, it does sound a bit like everyone's dialogue was recorded in a separate session. I think you're probably right across the board. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how many takes we've done of everything, but mm, there's well, not a lot of interactivity uh, going on. Some of it, I think, some of the dialogue was recorded in a different decade. Um, but, yeah. But you're right, yeah, we get uh, Mumra's plans working. He's away, he's into the Thundercats' lair, and he's, he's talking to his mates on the phone, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Then, he, um, yeah. then he goes and he trashes the armoury, steals a priceless sword. You would think for all of their technology, they'd have at least some manner of surveillance in there. You, you know, just in case they invite a stranger in. Yep. And have the or- absolute minimal of locks on the doors. Mm-hmm. Well, ah, now here we go. Because this is where he starts again with the bragging. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, there's a door with the massive Thundercats logo on. Yeah. I mean, there's an unnecessary clue in itself. They think they can keep me out of here. I can undo the locks that have been here for a thousand years. Because I have been here longer. And off he goes, off he goes, off he goes. Huh? It's, it's all about, all of this is, he's, he's kicking off that he's been there longer than they have. 
and he doesn't like them there. It's old village versus new village. That's all this is. Now, now this is the thing, right? Because Ben Kenobi the cat turns up and he yep. goes, oh, the, the mystic sword of almonds cannot be used for evil deeds, but evil is a point of view, surely. Now, Mumra's been on Third Earth for a thousand years. We know that because he says so every four minutes. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Thundercats just crash-landed a fortnight ago and set up shop like they own the fucking place. Mm-hmm. As parables about colonialism go, you can hardly blame the indigenous population for defending their turf, surely? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that he's been an arsehole about it. No, no, I have some empathy for, for Mumra, I'm afraid. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. So he's basically there... On his lawn, first thing in the morning. I've come down to get the milk in, and who's that moved in across the street? I see they've got the music too loud again. <laughs> it, you can't hear the tune, it's all bang, bang, bang. He has been seen going round, taking his slipper off and banging it on their front door, shouting, Keep it fucking down! when they're playing the music too loud. <laughs> What's that banging? That's the old fucker across the road. He wants us to play some Max Bygrave. <laughs> What's the thudding that we can hear? I don't know. I'll check. Sword of Omens. Give me sight beyond sight. Keep it fucking down, William. <laughs> Absolute hell on. Loves it. Loves it. So in the end, his master mm. plan... Is he, he he does it? He manages to get the sword, mm-hmm. and then it doesn't work because he's been there a no. thousand years, so he wouldn't know that that was going to be the thing. How just, did we know that he'd been there a thousand years? Did he tell us? I think he might have mentioned it. Um, I mean, he, this is the thing. He calls himself Mumra the Ever Living, but then he also says that he's a thousand years old. That's not the same thing, is it? No. I mean, what happens when like a, an absolutely stinking m- mummy turns up, um, Humra? And he goes, I've been here for 4,000 years. What's he going to do then? Yeah. I'll tell you something, though. Mm. Mumra would be cracking in panto, as we heard. (laughs) Telling you now, Abanaza. There you go. He'd be great. So how many pegs would you put upon the Thundera washing line, bearing in mind they've only got... A couple of leotards and a glove to hang on it. Uh, knowing that the neighbour across the road is going to go absolutely nuclear uh, <laughs> about the fact that they're up. Because <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I bet he does. Uh, I bet he's, the slightest thing you do, you go up. I'm going to give this seven. I really am, because I thoroughly enjoyed it. Five for the majority of the programme. The extra two are whopped up there for Mumra himself because I always did enjoy this character. He's absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, we've lost one down the way because uh, Tiger got on my nerves a little bit with his flashy architect skills. Okay. Not only is the big front of the house like it is, but um, to get to any sort of workings, you've got to go down something that's reminiscent of a wet and wild day out, and it's just stupid. It's all about him. So, yeah. Yourself? Well, I'm pretty sure this would be a different matter if the episode we watched had featured more Wily Wily Cat or Snuff. But Thundercats has no right being so cool, either then or now. Seven out of nine. Nice. But what everyone, and I mean everyone, 
wants to know is mm. how many steps would it take you to yodel up Thundera Mountain? Well, Third Earth is quite far away, so it'll take me four whole steps. Okay, this episode of Thundercats has Lionel brought to life by Larry Kenny, who provided voice work in Grand Theft Auto 4, as did Ricky Gervais, who was in 2007's Stardust, alongside... Peter O'Toole, who starred in Zulu Dawn, next to Peter Vaughan, who was in 1976's Spice Island Farewell, with Agima. Oh, thank you. You have a house in the window, um, something or other, lodge? Not too bad, not too bad for this kind of thing. They're usually longer than that. all right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Your good self? I can only do it in three. Thundercats features Mumra being voiced by Earl Hammond, who played the 1950 iteration of Buck Rogers opposite Eva Marie Saint, who starred in The Curse of King Tut's Tomb, along with Tom Baker, who was in the 1015 train episode of George and the Dragon with Peggy Mount. Concentrate, city. Your country needs you. Brilliant. Brilliant. Love it. Cats love apples, you know. Do they? I've not heard this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It was on. I read it. Um, well, we don't apples. we don't have any cats in here, so... No, we yeah, no, I can I can see you've got the apple over there. Over can the, you see it? I can, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You don't want it, do you? No, no, I'm all right for now. You can have it. You can have it. It's there. You can have it if you want. I'll keep it in mind. I'm okay. Thanks. Keep it in mind. That's good. That's good. Adverts. Oh! So big, so small, so close, so friendly, so special, so often, so much, so many, so fresh, so good we are, so near, so spar. So crusty, so choosy, so low in price So fine, so fancy, so cool, so nice So savoury and spicy we are So near, so spar So Danish, so Italian, so English, so French we are We're spar So fresh, so fruity, so tender and lean So good, so tasty, so fragrant, so clean So big, so small we are So near, so Slightly sparkling British wine. Any time's a good time. Let it roll. Let it roll. Let it roll. They were absolutely beautiful. They really were. All of them I'll be things. Those. All of them all things. Of them. All of them things. Absolutely all of them. Anyway, I. Oh, here we go again. Every time. Every time. Facsimile o'clock. Just a bit. Facsimile o'clock. Mm-hmm. I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm on it. Don't trip over the flex. 
not very long. You'll go your length. There we go. <clears throat> mm. uh, this is a factor. Why have you made me go for that? Ken, this is for you. Right. It's for <clears throat> Ken. It is. Dear producer Ken, where's my ruddy t-shirt? I left you a review on the iTunes like you said and everything. In the meanwhile, I noticed a contestant on the old MasterChef wearing one of your Peggy Man Calamity Hour pennies in a behind-the-scenes segment. How difficult is it to get a t-shirt printed these days? Yours impatiently, Stanley Randall from White and Gilbert. Okay. It's on its way, Stanley. It's on its way. Ken, get on it. People are waiting. I've seen your shopping list. Go for eggs. Go for t-shirts. Go for gold. was the weekday lunchtime quiz show devised by Reg Grundy Productions and presented by Henry Kelly, which ran for 10 six-month series and over 700 episodes. The USP was the contestants from different European countries would progress through four rounds, being gradually whittled down until an episode winner was revealed. The players who had been knocked out then returned for the next day's show and the process repeats itself and on until a series winner emerges, who for this outing will get a fortnight in Seoul just in time for the 1988 Olympics. Because yes, we've watched the very first episode of Going for Gold from the 12th of October 1987, which went out on BBC One at 10 to 2, right after Neighbours. Iconic theme tune this before we even get started on the gameplay <laughs> iconic theme tune absolutely very eurovision it is you know there's definitely the feel that the entire show is eurovision in a slightly different guise obviously that's intentional but were you into this back in the day then i certainly was if uh, okay. only for the visual shots of the contestants as the program starts on the titles yeah as they stand there as, as, they just don't know what they're doing and that you've been thrust in front of the camera. Smile! Smile! See, awkward. this is where awkward, awkward. I couldn't quite get my head around that. My brain would be thinking, is this like a, a European standard that we just don't do in this country? Because it feels weird watching everyone standing there grinning and waving. The entire show always had like a sort of otherworldly feel to it. I never knew if it was the spirit of enforced cooperation <laughs> delivered with a warm grimace or if it was the fact that daytime quiz shows often feel claustrophobic and desperate watching this now i realize it is of course both right it did feel different i do get that from you yeah it felt almost and i hate to overplay this but like an event when henry kelly mentions that this is going to go on for 23 weeks <laughs> you're not kidding Mind you, labouring on for 23 weeks and you get a fortnight in Korea. I'll not bother. <sighs> I mean, yeah, again, watching it now with hindsight, I love that they've made the set as bright and, again, sort of European as possible. Um, then mm -hmm. they've got the show hosted by a man who looks like he's just been to a funeral. Right. All smarm and no charm. An absolutely dreadful choice for this. Sorry, Henry, there it is. You mentioned the studio, the decor. Were they struggling for space? Was this filmed in the lift? 
Because when the contestants are sat at their seats in a blankety-blank-esque kind of arrangement, yeah. they're rammed together, cramped as tits. What's going on? Yeah, I get the impression that they are modular. So when they go to the next round, they've basically just... They've moved... They've either taken the background away or they've moved the uh, where, they, where the podiums sort of sit. But they yeah. all just sort of slot yeah. together, so they've taken one off. They, because they're rammed so tightly together, they really reminded me of the Imperial Troop Transporter from Star Wars. Yes. Like, they're basically prisoners <laughs> in there. Yes. <laughs> Love it. Love it. So considering this is like a pan-European project, mm. in your first episode... We have contestants from England, Scotland, and Northern Ireland suggesting that the transport budget was smaller than they'd hoped for. <laughs> Part of me rather suspects that all of these players just happen to be people who were working within a bus ride of Shepherd's Bush at the time. They're not flying anyone anyway, are they? Nah. No. Nah. No. There's no ferry tickets going out across the <laughs> across the pond there. No. Not at all. The contestants are referred to by the country they're representing, first of all. What, why? What's the significance of that initially? We, we know them by name later on, but it's, initially... It's time-saving. It's got to be time-saving. We start off with seven contestants. Mm. Um, their name badges don't appear on them until they start answering questions. Yeah. Um, so basically, yeah, until we have... Until you get a question right, you are nobody. Yeah, so we have three yeah. contestants on here from Northern Ireland, Denmark and Sweden who actually don't get named because they're not good enough to go through to the next round. They could be tomorrow, though, because they come back tomorrow, don't they? i touch on this and later, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell you what, though. Hans Mance, what a fella. Ah, he's rock, isn't he? It, what a fella. I loved him. And doesn't even flinch when Henry Kelly is trying and pushing him to do an Australian accent. Hans Mance is having nothing uh-huh. to do with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nothing. Yeah, not having it. <laughs> Yeah, we start with a elimination round. So we've got Ian from England, obviously, Hans from Austria, uh, Richard in Scotland, and Jacob from the Netherlands. They all go three. And yeah, basically, Northern Ireland, Denmark, and Sweden, they get kicked to fuck. They are back tomorrow because the BBC have not paid for them all to be on this set for three minutes. Now they're going to they're mm. wring the value out of that. Keep them in the green room. They can have some squash. They can come back in 20 minutes for the next show. Yeah. Give them a bone. Uh. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Round two is the uh, the Beat the Buzzer quiz. Very quick fire. And we get to know a little bit more about all the contestants now. Henry Kelly has just asked Jacob from the Netherlands if he wears clogs while everyone else on set just stands there in a stunned silence. That's yeah. the level of international friendliness we're at now, is it? Cribbing notes from Mind Your Language. I see, Henry. I see. No, it turns, right. out, it turns out he does wear clogs, but that's irrelevant. It's, you know. <laughs> and it's because of that that I'm quite scared of him. <laughs> I'm scared of the man for wearing clogs, and and I don't know why because he you'd, you'd hear him coming, wouldn't you? You really would. Well, yes, clopping down and, the street. Uh huh. And he speaks like a villain from an ITC crime series, like The Saint or something like that, okay. Randall and Hopkirk or something. <laughs> I'm 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 frightened of him. Not as frightened as I am of Richard, who seems entirely unsure about his own education yes. and past. Yes, I think Richard's a spy. <laughs> Henry, I think Henry does ask, ask him some basic questions about where you're from, and he just completely fluffs it. I, I didn't realise this was going to be a test. Is this the quiz, Henry? Is it? Yeah. I, I didn't realise my backstory had to be this detailed. I'm here to win the tickets to Korea. When do I get them? Nevertheless, on we go. And Hans 
kicks hell out of them. Uh-huh. Hans just blows it out of the park. <laughs> Good lad, Hans. <laughs> and mind, it's tense. It is tense, this. It's certainly fast-paced. I will give them, I'll yeah. definitely give them that. To the point yeah. of feeling rushed, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, it does feel a bit rushed. It's, it's Yeah, they've got 20 minutes, I think. So Yeah, yeah and four rounds to get through. And intros and outros. Is, yeah. That's right. Um, on to four in a row. I like this game. I like four in a row. Once again, tense. And, you know, get one wrong, you're back down to the bottom. Yep. And Hans is once again on fire. Richard gets four in a row, like a true spy would. I question some of the categories, though. Creepy crawlies? Is this CBBS? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Creepy crawlies? Insects, man. Mind you, Hans does get knocked out in this round. And Hans is absolutely stotten. He is. Which leaves... Ingl- he wants to smash that studio up with his own face. <laughs> and this leaves England v Scotland for the final round. I suppose that's a coincidence for this first episode, which clearly hates its overseas contestants. <laughs> You're right. Um, so, the going for gold trophy. Yeah. What the tits is that about? <laughs> that's that's ridiculous. That's, that's something that to take stupid. away with them. That's what he said. It looks like bollocks. <laughs> no. Come on. I'd want a, a bobblehead of Henry Kelly, me. Or if they'd been a little bit more imaginative in their thinking, and they could have gone with your suggestion, which was the troop carrier. Yes. With little plastic action figures of all the contestants they featured with on that day. Wouldn't take too much to do. I would pay an insane amount of money for a three and three quarter inch scale Henry Kelly action figure. Uh, I would, but for Hans. There we go. And, actually, even though he scared us, Jakob. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, he'd, but have, he'd, he'd basically be like a Darth Vader's body, but with his head. And clogs. And, yes, and clogs. And he wouldn't ride in the transporter. He would have his own giant clog that he would sit in uh-huh. and drive around in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Basically like a Star Destroyer play set, but a clog. But a clog, yeah. Mint. So, Richard from Scotland wins this. Well, like a spy would. Ian from England gets to fuck off back to England. He's back tomorrow anyway, just like the others. Now, yep. I'm sort of under the impression, the way they're going on here, the way that Henry Kelly mm. was going on, that this is like a winner stays on thing. Yeah. UKGameshows.com tells me that the first series was won by Daphne Hudson, representing England. So what the fuck happened to Ian? Presumably, they eventually just changed the locks so that Ian couldn't get back in. <laughs> yeah. He's back there every day, not winning. Every day, not winning. And they're like, wait, can you either try harder or have an accident? (laughs) Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah, I think they've worked out that Daphne works better on the telly, so yeah, we'll get her in. That's fine. Well, and she went on to Eggheads, didn't she? And all manner of things. Ah, okay. So, yeah, uh aha. Richard, off he goes to glory. Yep. And there's your your 20 minutes of a lunchtime after Neighbours. Hey, it's ram-packed. Of an afternoon on BBC, isn't it? Look what we were missing when we were at school. Mm -hmm. So at the end of all of that, how many pegs would you put upon this gloriously European line? I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for gold. And I'm going to put six, actually. Six. Okay. Gameplay, cracking. Format, love it. 
the ex- execution, the presentation, nah, very shaky, very shaky. But the actual gameplay and and what they managed to squeeze in in 20 minutes, although, you know, fast-paced and a little bit, whoa, what's all this about? Steady on. Um, still enjoyable. There's some cracking moments of gameplay, as uh, as we mentioned. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I'll give it all of that. Um, some great concepts for what could have been a great quiz show. It's just a shame they couldn't make one. Five out of nine. <laughs> Love it, love it. But the question on everyone's lips, and if you don't want to answer this, that's fine, but if you don't, you'll Mm. come back tomorrow, is how many steps will it take you to yodel up that beautiful European mountain? I can do it in two. Going for Gold is helmed by Henry Kelly, who was part of an audience with Kenneth Williams, which also featured Lorraine Chase, who once sat on the panel for Blankety Blank, of course, with Peggy Mount. Well, that's no news to us, is it, Miss Kitchener? Yes, of course. Absolutely. How about your ruddy good self, sir? Well, also in two. Ooh. Yes, Going for Gold is presented by Henry Kelly, who himself made several later appearances on Blankety Blank under the auspices of Les Dawson, who trod the boards of the Leeds City Varieties in the good old days with Peggy Mount. Now it's my turn to be speechless. Lovely. That brings it all back. That's what we want. That's the content we're here for. Right. Oh, after all that, I need to lie down. Very tense, that. Very tense. While I fluff me pillows, here's Blackout with your socials. Yes, thanks once again for dropping in. You can look us up on Twitter at Peggy Pod, and we're the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour on Facebook. For longer form messages, you can email PeggyMountPod at gmail.com. Don't forget to go to PeggyMountPod.com to check out the show notes and links for this episode. It really is as simple as that. Right. Um, can I... Uh, offer you an apple just before we go Uh, because if not I've got a beautiful clog that I can order for you online I've been having a look Um, would you like a clog I'm I'm good I'm good for apples and clogs I have neither but at this precise moment I desire neither neither that's that's fair enough okay he does really listen and I'm going to get him a clog while I shop for them we'll see you next week until then Keep Mountain! The Peggy Mount Calamity Hour is a free podcast from Michael Media which holds production copyright. Opinions and recollections expressed are not to be taken as fact. The title and credit music is by Dr. Velvet. Audio segments from television programs are presented for review and informational purposes only under fair use, and no ownership of these is claimed or implied by this show. For more information, visit PeggyMountPod.com. Peggy Mount Pod.com.